In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. Our scripture readings for this morning were fairly plain and apparent as to what we should do, how we should act, how we should carry ourselves as believers. I can do little to add, but I'm going to try to shed a little bit of light by the help of God's Spirit. When I was in elementary school, my favorite primer in elementary school in Java, Indonesia, boarding school, my favorite primer was uh, titled Think and Do. Uh, it taught me to think before I acted. I remember um, listening to an interview of Paul Simon. This was some years ago, and he had been fallow. He hadn't done any music for six years. And the interviewer asked him what he had been doing for this six years. And Paul Simon said, I have been thinking. <laughs> thinking can produce tremendous work but you've got to take the time to think. Thinking also slows you down. It wises you up. It is an exercise in stillness and, and restraint. It's a version of stop, look, and listen before you step out into the street. We're living in a time when too many of us are, are doing before we think. In a uh, biting article uh, entitled, You Are Living In, the golden age of stupidity. Lance Morrow writes, stupidity dominates in our time because of the convergence of many seemingly unrelated elements that mixed together at one moment in one cultural beaker have produced a fatal explosion of brainlessness. That's pretty pungent. <laughs> and then he asks, what are those ingredients? Morrow suggests they are the subversion of manners which depend on reticence, even mystery. The subversion of manners and authority, which prepared the way for the death of privacy, which would be ensured, the death of privacy, ensured by this stupendously intrusive, and I would add, wildly expansive capabilities of big tech in the 21st century. And Merrill notes, when the protections of the individual mind are gone, then you may open the floodgates too, among other things such as dopamine stupor of instant gratification, social media storms, pornography, all of which are a massively lucrative assault on individual dignity and collective decorum, an assault on the manners of a society, and, he says, if you will forgive me, an assault on the divinity of the individual. It seems we are not guarding our minds against the corrosive effects of, of online content and conversation that ramps up our anxiety and our envy and, and blows a 50-mile-an-hour wind on the, on the embers of our anger. And then as James, note, James notes later in, 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 in his letter, in his book, it, that, that anger ignites our tongue, which sets the forest fire ablaze. And what you get, as we have been reminded in recent uh, sermons, uh, on Ephesians and, and teaching on Ephesians is a darkening of the mind and a hardening of the heart. And that's a bad, bad combination. So with that introduction, aren't you all feeling great now? Um, let's focus our minds on the good news, uh, on some encouraging words from, from James and Jesus. Um, you have to slow down and think about how to pronounce this word. Ephathatha. It's hard to say. 
Ephaphatha. Jesus says this to the deaf mute, and he's saying, be open, be released, be set free. And from James, know this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, receive with meekness the implanted word, and be doers of that word, not hearers only. So I was thinking about Jesus healing here. When Jesus heals, it is always a comprehensive event. It involves words, touch, actions, instruction, which culminates in transformation. And that's because it's always more than a, than a physical event. It is a healing of the human spirit. So when Jesus says, Ephathatha, it is also a release from sin and the destructive, powerful effects of sin on the inner person. And the word symbolizes that word to open, Ephathatha, the opening of people's ears to the meaning of God's word. So the word can be implanted deeply into their hearts. So it doesn't just go in one ear, out the other. It goes into both ears and down here. Permeate. And it's interesting, the crowds. It seems, as crowds typically are, they're more interested in the exterior wonders, in part. And it's no wonder that they are, right? It's a wonderful thing that's happening. But crowds tend not, they stop at that. They tend not to listen more deeply and follow more closely. And after Jesus heals the man, he tells the crowd to be quiet. It's, 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 it's interesting. He says, tell no one. Be slow to speak. And the more he commands the crowd to be quiet, of course, the more they proclaim it. They are slow to listen and quick to shout it out. Um, we can understand the crowd, but you know crowds, if you think about thinking, crowds tend to escalate events. They also misinterpret, they distort, they miss nuances, the layers, the deeper significance of, of an event. They don't think, and their doing is as shallow and fickle as they're thinking. And crowds can turn in an instant. The crowd that praises Jesus here, perhaps members of that, will also be the mob that later yells, crucify him. Their praise is as premature as their understanding. But you know what the truly amazing aspect of the crowd is that whether they are singing Jesus' praises or screaming for his death, they are agents of God's purpose, of God's glory, which works through suffering and death, even death on a cross. And that is the divine secret that no one but Jesus knew. And Jesus keeps this secret. It's hard to keep a secret until the appointed time that you should tell that secret. And he carries it quietly with him. And as he faces the ruling authorities, he answers not a word because he's got to go all the way to his death. After which his secret is gloriously revealed. Thanks be to God. So the heartening word this morning is in our failings, the gospel never fails. It always prevails. This is our hope. And Jesus and James, the brother of our Lord, implore us, we, their beloved brothers and sisters, to allow the gospel to prevail in our minds and our hearts and in our actions. True telling can only come after we have sinned, after we have failed, after we have stumbled and we have forgiven and the mercy of God has been poured into our hearts and we are redeemed and we are restored. Then we have something to tell about Jesus. 
But for this to happen, we must hear the gospel. We must sit on it for a while. We must ruminate on it. We must shut up and listen up. To receive with meekness, the implanted word, says James, to allow the gospel to, love, to, to work its love into our shame, its, its mercy into our mercilessness, its, its tenderness into our hardness. Then we're ready to tell. And you know how we best tell? How to tell best? Not with our words, but with our actions. James instructs us to hear, and then not to talk about it, but to do. The best kind of hearing translates into action. You know when someone has listened and understood you, not when they repeat your instructions, but when they follow your instructions. And James employs this fascinating metaphor of, of, uh, of how we go from hearing to doing so that our doing is authentic to our being. Um, who you are is not what you say, it's what you do. And James uses this metaphor. If you hear and don't do it, he says, you're like someone who looks at his uh, face in the mirror, but then goes away and promptly forgets what he saw. And if you think about it, looking at a mirror is, is to be aware of what you really look like. And this is why many of us don't spend much time in front of mirrors. At least I don't. It is to be conscious, self-aware, to know, to know our well-denied shadow self that's always there and lurking, as well as our brighter self. And this is why we need others who love us and know us to be our mirrors for us, who can point out our shadow side as well as our brightness, as well as our goodness. And when we get to know our shadow self, and know that the Father of lights, the Father of all goodness, the Father of all grace, the Father of all glory has poured himself into us and wants to shower us with his good gifts. What does that do? That melts our shadows. It dispels our shadows and helps us live in the brightness of who Jesus is. And what comes out of that? Good deeds. And those good deeds are done in secret mostly, aren't they? We don't need to be heralded for them. Because that, those good deeds proceed not from our shadows, but from the light within which flow which always flow from the Father of lights. So Jesus, um, James contrasts the, the hearer who forgets with the doer who acts. And, and what does a doer look at? The doer does not look within herself or himself. The doer looks into the perfect law. And it's interesting, James calls that the law of liberty, the law of freedom, the law of openness, the law of release. We become most fully ourselves not by gazing at ourselves, narcissistic. We become most fully ourselves when we look into the perfect law, the law of freedom. And, and this is a great paradox, this reference to the word of God. Law always applies restriction, restraint, constraint, while freedom implies the absence of restriction. And of course, what makes this paradox of the gospel possible? Well, always the answer is Jesus. It is perfect because Jesus fulfills this scripture in his person and his ministry. And it's a message of freedom since by it Jesus also frees us. Ephathatha. He, he releases us from our slavery to sin and its evil desires. And he changes us inside out by the power of the Spirit. And then, James says, this leads to pure and undefiled religion. True religion to care for orphans 
and widows and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This doing, this work of engagement with and for the most vulnerable humans of the world also helps us to avoid the inhumanity of the world. You know the gospel. We know the gospel has set us free when it releases us from our self-obsession, releases us from the desire to help ourselves, releases us to helping others, especially the helpless, the widows and the orphans, the ones who can't help us back. I close with a vision of Jesus who looks to heaven and his heavenly father and then heaves a deep sigh or groan before he sets this man free of his afflictions. It takes strong work. It takes hard work. And it's draining work to release, as the Greek says, the chain of, to, for Jesus to, the chain of his tongue was broken. That's what Jesus does. The chain of his tongue was broken. Doing is hard, it's costly, it's taxing. We groan with grief for, for those ravaged and we groan with the demands of helping them. It is hard to give up ourselves, but it is good. This world is a mess, but it's God's mess. And in the middle of that mess, there are people everywhere all over the world who are hearing the call of God to help, who are counting the cost, who are going and who are doing. All over the world, in every corner of the world, Many American soldiers were sent recently in a selfless rescue mission to Afghanistan to save, their, uh, to save lives. Thirteen American soldiers gave their lives. One of them, Nicole Gee, recently promoted to Marine Sergeant, was from Sacramento and married to, a, married to a fellow Marine, Jared Gee. Only days before her death, she posted on Instagram uh, maybe a photo that you have seen by now of herself cradling a young Afghan baby. I love my job, she wrote. She was 23 years old. I think of thousands of firefighters in our fire-ravaged West Coast right now who are risking their lives to save homes and lives. This is especially personal to me now. I'm especially thankful because my daughter lives on North Lake Tahoe, and the flames have been encroaching ever closer to that lake, and the firefighters have kept them at bay. And we pray for those who have been ravaged by the fire. And then closer to home. So many of us who are doing God's good work celebrate, rejoice in that. All of us, many of us doing it quietly because we have been set free by God to do his good work. We don't need the accolades. Think of Exodus Ministries. They're sponsoring a walk for refugee kids from Afghanistan and around the world. It's on Saturday, September 18th. A small group of souls are going. You know what? Let's make it a big group. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Amen.